Warning, this show may contain adult language, content, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as legal advice, medical advice, financial advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on any affiliate networks, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of our affiliates or of any sponsors or products you may hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. It's that time again. It's Friday. Welcome to Sex and Science Hour. This is Stephanie with you. And of course, Brian is here. Does, does it sound different? Do I need to, it sounds I need to get different. real close you? To need you? to get a little bit closer oh. to me, and I, I have to say, I really don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, we are on location. Thank you so much for bearing with us. Um, we, I don't want to go into the details because, you know, boundaries, but we are on location this week, and last week we had a uh, classic episode of Sex and Science Hour. Which but, people enjoyed. I, yes, people they did. People really liked hearing, uh, you know, a lot of people that listen to season two, they didn't listen to season one. And if you never have, you need to go back now. We do. We have a whole first season of content. This is, of course, season two of Sex and Science Hour. Season one is available on our website for free. It's sexandsciencehour.com. And there's a whole playlist there of all of our season one shows, which are really good. I mean, they're well, very I mean, timeless. If you don't say so yourself. <laughs> if I, mean, I do it, say so myself, I love to toot my own horn. <laughs> <laughs> but we are on location, so thanks for bearing with us. I, like I was starting to say, I don't want to go into the details too deeply because, you know, boundaries and stuff. But let's just say uh, the world has lost a very special and important person and someone who's definitely very special and important to me and to us. Absolutely. So um, we, are, we are very sad for that. But, um, you know, the show must go on. And so we're bringing you the show. And, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to do the show to uh, to bring some joy into the world because we because we need that. You know, we need some some laughter and light. It's been a tough year for everyone this year. 2016. 2016 has been insane. It has. Uh, yeah. Just the a other lot day. of tragedy, a lot of, you know, sad world events. There's been, you know, I've seen a lot of people posting online that they're just depressed about sort of the state of the world. Have sure. you seen that too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's just, it's, it's a terrible laundry list of things that, uh, you know, that, that are, that are going on, but yeah, absolutely. you know, uh, at the same time, you know, you hear lots of evidence that, that the world is more peaceful than it's ever been, you know, and is it, you got to look on the bright side, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for sort of the eternal optimism and trying to see the silver lining. But um, it's hard to see the silver lining in something like uh, Ethereum when it comes to oh, crashing Jesus down. Christ. <laughs> well, that's a segue for you, right? We're yeah, going to talk about Ethereum. One. That's a good one. So, so 
I admittedly have been a little out of touch with the world because of the sort of personal tragedy that's been going on in my life recently. But uh, I, I happened to catch like a couple of tweets today that just by all indications, Ethereum is just kind of going down in flames. And we've been talking about this for a while. We've never been fans of Ethereum. I never had any Ethereum. I never invested well, in the crowd sale. I never got any because I didn't like the concept from the beginning. I think smart contracts, you know, we, we have a segment on the show called smart dumb and <laughs> that's what it ends up being a lot of the times when you try to automate everything down to the nth degree you know, sometimes you just need a human touch to figure things out more efficiently than than an algorithm can and there can always be bugs in the code when you try to code everything and write these smart contracts that handle every little aspect of life so i just don't see it and i'm just not really sure that the world is ready for something like that or will ever be yeah and, and we've uh, talked about that in season two before yeah we've uh, talked about know, it a th- lot that's not necessarily new you've been news. talking about ethereum for two years on your show on cybertech yeah i i've i've always been against it but you know i want to be clear i mean people translate things in different ways you know looking for silver linings i mean there's people who take a lot of what's been happening with ethereum as all very good things or very normal things perhaps maybe not good so what uh, so, what actually has been happening with ethereum let's let's well, do I a, mean, just take just, it from the top and do a little summary sure just to be clear though you know when we say it's going down in flames i think for some people like well that's your opinion i don't think it's opinion i think of it's course fact. it's our opinion yeah, everything right. on the show is our opinion <laughs> Exactly. Right. Um, but yeah, so so what what has happened recently is there has been a hard fork uh, that is at least in some ways. And boy, if I get any of this wrong, these things are so loaded with details. I mean, you know, if oh, you're doing you can't keep up. Don't t- one... don't take us too seriously. But this is our understanding of what's been happening. Right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think the points we may have are are pretty. You know, they they cover the broader scope, the bigger picture of what's happening yeah. anyway, beyond the details. Um, but Ethereum is now Ethereum Classic, and it's gone from the, the call letters of ETH to ETC. There's been a schism in Ethereum, and this is yes. because the the controversy with the DAO, which was this thing, this, uh, <laughs> this automated crowdfunding platform that right. was coded by a company called Slocket, and, and that... Uh, had a huge exploit in it it was hacked to the tune of 150 million dollars or worth of ethereum or something like yes, that millions and of people dollars. are pissed and they're desperately trying to get their money back and so <laughs> one of the uh the ideas to to remedy this situation was to introduce a hard fork into ethereum which basically all the miners decide to switch to a new version of the ethereum software and start mining on that chain instead of the old one but then it creates two chains it's the it's the old one and the new one Right. right, and so there's been a schism in Ethereum where it's split into the old chain and the new chain. Yeah, and it appears that most, uh, like the miners in Ethereum and all that, which right now Ethereum is is yet to be proof of stake. So yeah, there's miners, there's all this stuff, and um, but it appears that they have agreed to go with with Ethereum Classic. Uh, they they have decided to go forward with this fork, the Ethereum Foundation itself, which is kind of the uh, maybe governing body isn't a word that they would like. Because having I a would, foundation works so well for Bitcoin, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> so they have they are supporting this fork as well. They are supporting Ethereum Classic. Uh, and what's happened now, because of this hard fork, there is a group of people who are claiming that they want to create another foundation. They are calling it the Ethereum Genesis Foundation mm-hmm. because the idea is, is that they want to respect the Genesis chain you know, the original one the original that wasn't hard chain. forked. Um, they want to respect that. 
And they are saying that they will go to court. They will sue the Ethereum Foundation if the Ethereum Foundation does not hand over all of its assets. And that means all of its Ethereum, all of its cash, whatever it's and got. And what's their basis for that? And this is, this is the assets from the Ethereum crowd sale, which raised a ton of money. Yeah, right, right. And yeah. how much of that is left, we don't know. But. Yeah, so, so there's a whole blog post from this seemingly anonymous group that wants to start all this stuff. Um, and, I mean, so, so there's some degree of conjecture as to what the point is. But it seems to be that the point is, and, and like, I, I can't, so I don't agree with Ethereum, whether it's Ethereum Classic or Ethereum Genesis, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I don't agree with that in any way, but as far as within the paradigm of Ethereum, I agree with the Genesis guys because they're saying that, uh, you know, well, you know, you can't go rewriting history. Uh, you know, this is, these are the consequences of what happens and also, and now, I mean, there's people who are claiming that the Genesis guys are being trolls. You know, they're, they're just, they're trying to ruin it and, and they're out there to kill Ethereum and all this stuff. And I mean... Well, that's what you would say if you wanted the hard fork to stay in place, right? I mean, it, it, you're right about rewriting history because every time there's a big hack or a big theft or something that mm -hmm. people don't like that happens with a cryptocurrency, there's this temptation to say, oh, well, we can just erase that. We can make it like it never happened by making a new version of the software and uh, and switching to that and and essentially rewriting history and switching to that new chain. Right. But that the problem is, what is the threshold for doing it, doing that? You know, does it just... You know, does it become a commonplace occurrence where history could be rewritten and transactions could be erased if the majority of the community doesn't like them? And sure. that's a big problem. You don't want to have that happen. You don't want to have every transaction be subject to judgment, you know, from the community and the miners. Because, yeah, I mean, even in cases where it's clearly a theft, there are going to be gray cases where it's not clearly a theft. Right. Yeah. Even the even the Ethereum hacker uh, that that took the DAO money, you could say that they were they were being an asshole and a troll and that they were totally malicious. And maybe you're right. But they were <laughs> the thing that people seem to agree on is they were acting within the rules of the smart contract as it was written. It was just poorly written. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and right. And in fact, even people that I that I think are, are part of the Ethereum Foundation have said that was not a theft. Like, technically, that was not Technically, they happened. were following the letter of the law. It right. was just that the law was poorly constructed and poorly written. And that's a problem, because then you can say, well, oh, I don't like the outcome of that. We need to rewrite history. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that that's the real issue here with this whole situation with ETH versus ETC, you know, Genesis Ethereum versus Ethereum Classic. And that is that, you know, like, could this, uh, you know, Genesis group actually have a case and could they, you know, could could they really take Ethereum Classic to court? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, I am not a lawyer. I am not giving legal advice. I'm just saying, yeah, I think they could. I think and they have just, a case because... It's so funny and ironic. I'll let you finish your yeah, thought in a second. But it's so funny and ironic that so much of this stuff is, oh, we're going to sue you. We're going to court. This thing was supposed to replace the court system. This <laughs> right. thing was supposed to obviate the need for lawyers, right, and courts. Yeah. So what are they doing running to the, the actual courts in the real world? I guess the kinks aren't worked out yet. Well, I mean, and, and that's the story of Ethereum is that they use, quote unquote, real world, which, again, we, like you said, we're supposed to be getting beyond this sort of stuff with, uh, you know, blockchain 
organizations and all that. You know, you're getting beyond the real world stuff. Um, I mean, th- you know, they're doing, they're pulling the tricks that the Federal Reserve does. They're pulling all yeah, these. Yeah, it's a bailout. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bailout. like TARP, you know. Right, it's right. It's the troubled Ethereum release Yeah, in program. fact, some people are even nicknaming Ethereum Classic. They're calling it Ethereum, Ethereum bailout, bailout Edition, yeah. Which is, yeah, that might, I think that's the more proper term. But, you know, the, the Genesis guys, I think they really have a case because, first off, like Ethereum and, and the DAO as well just didn't give a shit. Like, they pretty much just said, Oh, we're we're not a, you know we're not a security we're not you mm-hmm. know we're not a this and that we're not all these legal terms which clearly they fit the definition of and they just said they didn't care so guess what if somebody wants to make a big enough stink and hire the right lawyers oh yeah Ethereum's going to run into a whole you know buttload of, of problems <laughs> I mean big time yeah uh, it's a it's a huge mess I mean. I didn't want to talk about it for too long because I don't want to get too cryptocurrency geeky after all. But um, it is kind of a fascinating situation to watch. And I feel vindicated in a way, you know, that we never got involved with Ethereum because I don't know. I just never had a good feeling about it to begin with. People said, oh, you're crazy. You're behind the times. Why do you like Bitcoin but not Ethereum? Well, Bitcoin is way different. Bitcoin is, is really limited in the scary things it can do and, you know, uh, it allows you to do things that are leaps and bounds ahead of other technologies at the time, you know? So. Yeah, but with Ethereum, it's new boss same as the old boss. I mean, that's yeah. that's really the, that's really the message Bit- that Bitcoin I Bitcoin was never billed as something to restructure society by coding people into good behavior. You know what I mean? Bitcoin right. is a new kind of money, and that's it. And you can do... You can do a lot with Bitcoin, even though it's not Turing complete, right? It's You can still do a lot with Bitcoin. You can set up little switches and you can set up um, things, little Rube Goldberg contraptions of things that can <laughs> happen with Bitcoin without the need to do Ethereum and smart contracts with a Turing complete language and all the problems that go along with it. it it's If you don't understand what I just said complexity is the enemy of security and ethereum is very complex whereas bitcoin is very simple and that's the reason i like bitcoin but not ethereum yeah i, I mean that makes sense yeah absolutely my you know the only point or the main point i just want to make i'll make it quick uh is that this also is not like the ability for the genesis uh, uh foundation we'll say to be able to sue is not a byproduct of the fact that there are governments. It's not like, well, you know, this wouldn't be a problem with Ethereum if there weren't governments. That is not the case at all. Uh, because, you you know, a lot of people that, that are trying to, you know, they want Ethereum to replace a lot of government, government functions and all this different stuff. They're all big on these, what do they call them? Uh, uh, Dispute resolution. Oh, dispute DROs, dispute resolution organizations. Yeah, all this stuff. The same thing would happen. The same crap. The same cruft. You know, would all would 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 all come to it. I love that word, cruft. Yeah, I mean, it would all surface, and the same problem would exist. You know, uh, I'm not saying Shakespeare was right when he said kill all the lawyers, uh, but I mean, because I'm a peaceful guy, but, <laughs> you know. But that's uh, the only reason. But, well, but I mean, hey, geez, you know, the bottom line is, is that this is a, this is an issue with the fundamental design of a system like Ethereum. Uh, that's why I say on the bigger picture, it doesn't matter what the details are. This thing is, is, is in my opinion, crap from the get go. Well, you know, speaking of resolving disputes, yeah, um, <laughs> we're going to segue here because I did. I didn't want to make this all about Ethereum. I just wanted to, um, you know, I, I didn't want to lose the attention of people who don't get what we're talking about. But um, speaking of resolving disputes, I saw a really interesting article here, and now we're in the science segment, so we can talk about this. Um, bonobos, one of Brian's favorite animals. <laughs> bonobos are kind of great ape. 
and they are famous for well, let's just say getting getting freaky, getting yeah, they wild. Get dizzy. They're yeah, yeah. they're very sexual kind of monkeys, and they <laughs> just to say how sexual. Like if they have an argument, you know, and they're done, they don't just hug it out. They don't hug it out. They, they rub do it out, way maybe. more than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're often contrasted with chimpanzees because they're very genetically similar to chimpanzees, but um, chimpanzees have a lot more violence, I guess, in their cultural, in their societal structure, um, whereas bonobos are a lot more peaceful and they also have a lot more sex and chimpanzees less sex more violence so what does that mean um people have all kinds of guesses and speculations but anyway um there's there's an article here from the scienceexplorer.com this is by erica tenenhouse and it says bonobos form all female coalitions to target violent males now this is pretty awesome so let me read it to you. When a male bonobo harasses a young female, he better look out. A coalition of protective older females might be headed his way. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like, like India. I I was thinking that, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to like be mistaken for sounding racist at all. Oh, so good job, Brian. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll I'll take the. <laughs> We're not part. comparing Indian people to apes at all. No, or, or no, any, no, no. I any didn't mean type that. of humans just, to apes. Yeah, I just um, meant but, that there's groups of women in India that yes, will they the, will step up to the plate when somebody's doing some bull. I mean, you yeah, you know, and they're called the Gulabi Gang or the Pink Gang. And there were, a, it's literally a group of women who um, banded together to defend against abusive husbands that would beat them, yeah. uh, abusive fathers, abusive um, just men in the streets that would sexually assault them. And um, it is literally a gang of tough women who banded together and defended against violent males, just like these bonobos did. So, um, yeah, it, it is reminiscent to that. I was thinking the sure. same thing, Brian. Um, so anyway, researchers observing wild bonobos over four years in the Democratic Republic of Congo found that whenever females formed coalitions, they would invariably attack males. This was typically in response to a male displaying aggressive behavior towards another female. In their study published in the journal Animal Behavior, the researchers conclude that coalitions in female bonobos might have evolved as a counter strategy against male harassment. Alliances feature prominently in the social lives of primates, <laughs> don't they? in humans, too. I mean, you can learn so much about humans from studying other primates. You know what I mean? And, oh, and absolutely. animals in general, but def especially primates. Granted, I do think that, uh, you know, if some of our near uh, uh, relatives, you know, perhaps a little 2% different on the, the DNA spectrum, yeah, if they knew how close they were to us, I think they might be insulted or ashamed <laughs> when they look at how some humans act. But anyway. Oh, my gosh, I know. At least monkeys aren't destroying each other with wars and, you know, nuclear weapons. Yeah, they're and not offing like each other in record numbers. Yeah. Uh, all they can do is form female gangs to defend against the males. That's really not that bad. <laughs> um, often forming among female relatives, these partners can strengthen the female's ability to cope with competition from non-relatives. Bonobos are unusual in that females typically form un alliances with unrelated females. So they're saying that most monkeys, they'll band together within a family group. Mm -hmm. But with bonobos, they, they just pick all the older women who have had experience being harassed by the males. And then they, they gang up to protect the younger females from the aggressive males. Fancy that. I think this is so cool. <laughs> um, they're feminists. Bonobos are unusual in that females typically form alliances with unrelated females. As the lead author of the study explains in a press release, for bonobos, females leave their birth group during adolescence, so females in a group are generally not related to each other. Despite this, they frequently form coalitions. 
Females had a better chance of defeating offending males when they formed coalitions than when they confronted a male alone. And that's that makes sense, right? Strength in numbers, right? Sure. On average, usually the males of a species are stronger and maybe more aggressive, you could argue, than the females. But if there's a bunch of females together, then maybe they would be able to defend against a, a stray, aggressive male who's stepping out of line. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. The researchers believe that forming coalitions to combat aggressive males has enabled female bonobos to acquire the more dominant position in the social hierarchy. So it's a matriarchal society, because if if the males act up, the females will just band together and kick them out. (laughs) Oh, we're going to get emails about that. (laughs) Oh, well, we already get emails about that. Um, (laughs) The researchers believe that... uh, Oh, sorry. Um... So the research, the lead researcher on the study says, we may have uncovered one of the ways in which females maintain a superior status in bonobo society. Older females may also gain additional value from participating in coalitions. It's beneficial for the older females as well, because the younger females start spending more time with them in hopes of getting protection, he explains. This way they can recruit for their gang. <laughs> this way the older female can give her son more opportunities to mate with the younger females. Now, isn't that interesting? So the, the older females in these gangs have are feminist bonobos, and they raise their sons, and they teach their sons not to be aggressive against other females. And then they recruit the younger females into their gang, and they say, here, mate with my son. He's a nice one. He's a nice guy. <laughs> isn't he a nice little boy? <laughs> well, so what do you this think is, of all this? This is fascinating. Like, it's, it's just fascinating. I mean, you do see this behavior in humans or, like, or very similar behaviors in humans. I think it's, it's, it's just very interesting. You know, animals are, are different than humans. They don't have the same degree of... Um, you know, concept formation, right, was what Ayn Rand said, makes us, distinguishes humans from animals. You know, if if it's a spectrum from, you know, the lowliest amoeba to a a fully conscious and self-aware human, bonobos and other apes are pretty far towards the human end of the spectrum. Absolutely. They are Um, equidistant uh, to chimpanzees in comparison to us. Oh, you're saying that um, bonobos and chimpanzees are are just, just as, just close as genetically as, close yeah. as humans and bonobos. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not surprising that you see some of the same social behaviors. Um, I think, you know, I'm just thinking of the times in my life when I've formed gangs with other females to protect against <laughs> aggressive males, and it works pretty well. Well, you know, it, part of, well, I mean, what, what do you have a, like a take on this that you're, because cause something is something. Uh, a somewhat different stories kind of coming to mind for me on the whole matter, but if you oh, want well, to keep good. Going, no, tell me. Well, it, it, there's it's a somewhat famous, and I mean, and it's one case, so maybe people don't want to take it too seriously. I don't know, and I'm not sure actually to the breadth of uh, of study that the bonobos went through. Which, granted, it's you know, bonobos is not like a worldwide species or anything. You know, they're 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 pretty particular where they are. So I'm not sure how. Uh, you know, how much research could be, you know, like... They had to go to the Democratic Republic of Congo to study them. So. Right, right. So I'm saying if the bonobos were in, I uh, I don't know, Mongolia New or York something, City? What would, you know, what, what would the <laughs> what bonobos would be like there? Would they have the same platitudes? You know, I mean, that that's a question, I suppose. Um, but what I'm what I'm reminded of is, there. it's very famous, it's a forest troop. And maybe people listening will, will know what I'm talking about right away. Forest troop was this group of... Um, uh, oh, what, what are they? 
what are those things? I don't know, sweetie. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's What are okay. you talking about? <laughs> uh, it, but baboons. Oh, yeah, baboons. Yeah. Okay. Four yeah. troopers, this group of, of baboons. Uh-huh. And these baboons, what happened is, is that they were, they, they lived near a tourist destination. Okay. And so the males, the hunters within this, okay, they were off forage, or, you know, not foraging, but they were off, well, I guess it's foraging technically. They were uh-huh. off going for some food. Uh-huh. And they went to, uh, they went to one of the tourist destinations there, one of the hotels, and they started eating from the dumpster. Well, the dumpster. Oh, they're had dumpster some, diving. Right, they're dumpster diving, you know, and, uh, and they were, <laughs> they, they ate this, this food that killed them. Like they oh, ate this really bad food, okay. and so a huge part of the male population within this troop of baboons—that's what you call it—a troop—died. Um, and now baboons, you know, at least historically, how we've encountered them are, are they're, they're you know an aggressive species. Yes, you want to talk aggressive, about really aggressive. Among, they're aggressive. very territorial, right? If you don't, we we watch the show called Naked and Afraid on the Discovery Channel, where they're out in the jungle and they're trying to survive in the wilderness with nothing, and. Like, whenever they come across baboons, the baboons are pissed that they invaded their turf. Right. And they steal food from the humans. <laughs> right. So. But now here's the interesting thing, okay, is mm-hmm. that when suddenly a whole ton of the male baboons died, and so the ratio went from, like, I don't know, you know, maybe five, five to five. Mm-hmm. It went from five to one, five being the females. Like, there was just tons of females and only a few males. Mm-hmm. This aggressive species, inside of one generation... Because this was this happened like in the nineties. Inside of one generation of baboons became placid. It was they were peaceful. You know they were calm as Hindu cows. It, so so basically the moral of the story is you get rid of the males and they become and more suddenly peaceful. Aggressive goes away. You yeah, know, the I mean that's, goes away. that seems to back the the whole radical feminist theory that maleness is the cause of aggression or the root cause of aggression in well, the look world. Well, look at the bonobos. Yeah. When, are, when, do they, when do they get aggressive? Yeah, they oh, don't, they don't some... have any philosophy. They have, bare, right. you know, they have culture, but, you know, they don't, I, I suppose they don't have cultural, like, gender roles, right? They have sex, biological sex, but they don't really have the, the same level of gender roles that we have. Yeah. And, now, yeah. Right. Now, I'm not making some kind of crazy feminist case of any kind with, like, forest troop. You know, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that aggression can be replaced with other things. Okay. It can be replaced with, honestly, with sex. Mm-hmm. It can be replaced with business. You know, one of my favorite sayings is business over bullets. You know, uh, I mean, there are, aggression does not have to be the norm. Yeah. Uh, by any stretch. You know, in fact, some people theorize that chimps and bonobos kind of split off from each other on the evolutionary tree mm-hmm. because. There was like a group of monkeys and they were separated by like a river or some geographical thing, right? And on one side of the river, the resources were abundant and there was no need for anything. They didn't have any trouble finding food. Everything was plentiful. But on the other side of the river, the resources were really scarce. Right. And in the side with the scarce resources, those became the chimps and they evolved to be way more aggressive to compete for the resources. Right. Whereas the, where the resources were plentiful, those became the bonobos where they were not very aggressive by nature. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, you know, you look at the, what these primates so are doing. So scarcity plays a big role in it too, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, I think it's fascinating to look at, you know, how, what these, you know, near ancestor, not ancestors, but near relatives, genetic relatives of ours, mm-hmm. how they interact, you know, how they're even on maybe just above an instinctual level, what they do. Uh, yeah, I think there's some commentaries on society to be had there. Uh, I, I think that that story about the bonobos is absolutely fascinating. So... 
Speaking of this, um, you know, we have actually another... <laughs> We're just rolling. <laughs> we have a, actually another feminist article here. Um, why not getting married is smart economics for women. Mm, okay. Now, this is probably going to piss some people off. I, I mean, I just think it's interesting demographic study. I'm not really trying to... I'm definitely not telling, trying to tell you what to do with your life or anything like that. But, you know, when you... When you constantly hear from people around you, oh, when are you getting married? When are you going to have kids? Or whatever, you know. Um, It can get a little tiresome if that's not what you want to do, just because that's like the social norm. That's what you're kind of expected to do. These are some statistics I found the other day that show that, you know, there are actual economic reasons why women of our generation, and I'm I'm 32, you're 35, um, why they might not want to get married and why it's actually not a dumb choice, why it's actually backed up by some statistics. So this is from Yes Magazine. Um, So more women than ever, this is kind of like an infographic, so I'll just read some of these statistics. More women than ever are choosing not to get married. Um, The married women ages 18 to 29... In 1960, 60% of of women ages 18 to 29 were married. I totally flubbed that up. In 1960, more than half of all women of age 18 to 29 were married. In 2012, only 20% of all women in that age bracket were married. So the the marriage rate is going down for women 18 to 30. Um, Marriage by itself does not improve economic prospects. So that's the thing you hear. Well, oh, well, two can live more cheaply than one. And that appears to be true, but not necessarily marriage isn't the key. The key is having two earners in the household. Right. So if if you're married with, uh, they looked at the, the how much the median income went up over the last 30 years for people who were married or just cohabitating. Or, or unmarried. So um, uh, basically, if you're married, but only one person works, your median income didn't go up at all. Okay. If there, if you're a couple, whether you're married or not, and there's two earners, your medium median income went up quite a bit. Nah. So the key is having two people who work, not necessarily the marriage itself. Marriage doesn't prevent poverty. of parents of minor children who are living below the poverty line are married. Mm. So there's a lot of married, there's a lot of married people with young kids who are living below the poverty line. So it doesn't prevent poverty. Here's an interesting one. Women earn more when they don't get married and men actually earn less when they, when they don't get married. Yep. That's interesting. Um, If you are a college graduate and you have never been married, and you're th- and you're 33 to 35, right in our age bracket. If you're a college graduate, never been married, you can expect to earn fifty thousand dollars a year on average. If you got married, ages younger than age 20, you're down in the thirty thousand dollar range. So you're taking a half half haircut on your salary if you get married young. Wow. Well, if you know, you're a, if you're a woman, yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of have two thoughts on on those first two Mm because they sort of speak to the same thing. And I knew a guy, this is anecdotal, so people can take it, you know, how they want. Um, But I I knew a guy, he had, they weren't married, but he had, you know, a partner, a woman that that he'd been with for years, had Mm -hmm. actually like three kids with this woman. 
They never got married. They consciously decided to never get married. Right. Okay, now they're into real estate. Mm-hmm. And they were able, because here's the thing, right, is that the, one of the common cases still given today for people like, you know, this is why you should get married. I mean, folks, understand, if you want to get married, believe me, Stephanie and I don't mind if you want to get married. You know, do, do what you oh, do. Oh, yeah. It's the right yeah. thing to do for some people. You yeah. Know, we're, we're, not, we're not saying don't do it. Um, we're just saying these are some interesting demographics that say... That say why it's not a no-brainer that you should get married. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it's not like the only choice. Right. So, like, outside of the argument that with marriage, outside of the argument that, like, say you have uh, somebody from another country that you want to live with you in America. Okay. Obviously, getting married is a, is a quick access to a green card, right? Okay. That that makes tons of sense. I, I have no issue with that sort of thing happening. Um but I think that there are actually a lot of economic advantages for couples to not to go ahead and have kids, whatever, but to not get married. Because with this, what I, what I was talking about, the guy who, who had, you know, he's with a woman for years. They have kids and all that stuff. They're very loving. It was a beautiful relationship to see. Um, they're into real estate. She was able to go into state houses, you know, and wherever else you had to do all your paperwork and everything, you know, for housing and all this bullshit. And she, you know, she could play the single mother. And was able to, you know, because she's not married and she has three kids kind of hanging right. off her. And so she was able to completely game the system, uh, you know, and but both, you know, her and her partner won out. I, I mean, I think there's some people are going to say, well, this is what women do all the time, whether they have a man in their life or not. I mean, and, and that's just, I mean, stop. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, okay. Well, they'll say that no matter what. <laughs> yeah, that, that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, you know what the easy solution to that is? Guys, keep it in your fucking pants. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, the... Regardless, my point is, is that I think there are genuine economic advantages to, you know, even if you have a partner to not actually getting married. Like, like I, I, I you, there's ways that you can if, if because that's the argument we get, even, at, you know, in, in more like a freedom oriented, uh, you know, circles and all mm-hmm. this stuff. Uh, they will say that, well, you know, you get tax breaks, you get all this, you get all this. Actually, I think I think that you get more breaks, you get more advantages by not that's my opinion i've seen people do it uh, i feel like tax breaks are not the reason you should like join your life with somebody yeah in a legal sense you know what i mean yeah and also hospitals they don't check to see like because they used to be a thing oh, too. oh the visitation in the hospital yeah right I that know. nobody that's, cares about that anymore myth. that's yeah. that's done so anyway uh go, go, what other what other did we have any more yeah, reasons on there i know just no um that was pretty much it i mean there's some other things in there but it, i want to move on and get because we have listener emails to get to but um oh that's exciting but um I, i'll just say like i don't know i think you know commitment and marriage are two different things yeah, right you absolutely know, you can be committed to someone without necessarily having this legally binding contract contracts right yeah, Ethereum between yeah. you and the government or you and the blockchain or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just put your marriage certificate on Ethereum. Everything will be fine until we do a hard fork. <laughs> right. <You know. laughs> does, that, does that dissolve all the marriages yeah. that were on there? So, okay, anyway, um, we do have a listener email. Right, a couple weeks ago, we talked about lucid dreaming on the show. And we talked about this machine that researchers found that this is... You know, this kind of freaked me out a little bit. I don't think I would want to sit, you know, sit there in bed with a with an electrode over my head and try to pass current over my brain. You know, I'm worried it would get cooked in the microwave or something. But um, they invented this little helmet that can supposedly help you lucid dream. And, of course, lucid dreaming is when you realize that you're dreaming and then you uh, can control the plot of the dream. Right. Right. So 
So we have we asked for listener experiences. If anybody has been able to lucid dream and they wanted to share their experience with us, um, we uh, we solicited emails and we got one. So this person said, "Howdy, this isn't my first email to the show. It's not his first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. But I enjoyed your recent segment on lucid dreaming, and I felt it could I could contribute to the conversation. And hey, you know what? It's okay. If you've emailed us before, that's fine. We love having repeat customers, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> repeat, yeah. repeat customers, repeat offenders. I don't know. We love, <laughs> we love having repeated contact from our listeners. And I did not feel that this person was annoying us at all. Actually, I don't even remember when the last time they emailed us was, but I know who it is. So yeah. anyway, you're not being annoying listener. And if you have to ask, then you're, pro- you're, you're pretty safe to it. If you're concerned that you might be over contacting or overstepping your boundaries, then you're probably not overdoing it just because you're aware of that, right? You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's like guys where they have to ask, well, gee, am I being creepy? Does she want me to do this? Well, if you're thinking about it and if you're concerned about whether if you're concerned about the other person's feelings, you're probably, probably not, not not being yeah, creepy. Exactly. So <laughs> anyway, um so this person says, um When I was very young, I had some traumatic and recurring nightmares. It was strange because the dreams were more realistic than my understanding of reality in a lot of ways. But that's not essential to the story at hand. After years of struggle with sleep and nightmares, I began to notice certain tells which could help me differentiate between when I was dreaming and waking. (laughs) At this, sorry, that was weird. (laughs) I began to notice certain tells which could help me differentiate between when I was dreaming and waking. At this point, I think I was somewhere around seven or eight years old. Hmm. Those tells consisted of things like missing time and rearranging floor plans. Have you ever had a dream, Brian, and you're in a house or something, and then like you look in a different direction and you look back and then the room arrangement has changed or something has changed and it really throws you... It's like The Shining, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure I have had that, but... um but I don't remember. I, I have. I've definitely had the, th- you know, some of the typical things they say about lucid dreaming is like, look at a clock within the dream. And if the clock's numbers are kind of jumbled up, then you know, it's a dream. You know, it's not real. Oh, it's a good tip. Okay. Yeah. Or look at like a book and then sometimes you won't be like, sometimes the words won't make sense or something like that. So. Sure. All right. Yeah. Um. So this person said the things that gave it away for him were, um, you know, rearranging floor plans and and skipping over time. So despite the realism of the dreams, he says, I would often skip from one location to the next without any travel. So I found myself often when sleeping and waking both checking to see if I could remember how I got to where I currently was. I also often found myself checking to see if I ever remembered the room I was in being in a different place in the building. Within a couple of weeks, I was able to tell fairly reliably whether I was awake or not. I think our studio audience might be uh, lucid dreaming over there. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> when I when I was realized uh, when I realized I was dreaming, it would cause me to wake up immediately, and that didn't help my insomnia at all. So I found myself falling asleep, wishing I could stay asleep, and that desire would carry over to when I would be checking to see if I was dreaming. After a couple months of this process, I began doing what I think is called lucid dreaming. When I realized I was dreaming, I would wish to remain asleep, and I often would. And then I would start getting things out of control. I would wish to do something like fly away, fight back, or teleport Star Trek style, etc. And it would happen. 
It didn't take long for me to take control over the environment in my dream, too. I could wish for tasty meals, cool, cool toys, and in later years, hot girls. And it would often, yeah, and it would often <laughs> happen more or less as I wanted it to. It was all very vivid, and the touches, tastes, etc. were just like real life, which was part of the reason the nightmares were so traumatic in the first place. There were limits to what I could do in the dream, though. I have never quite gotten the hang of what those rules are, but I have gotten a decent feel for what I can and can't do. When I would try to do something I couldn't, usually the dream would become less vivid and I would begin to lose control. If I pushed it hard enough, everything would fade out, much like when I went into shock and passed out in real life, and I would basically become paralyzed. If I kept trying hard enough to do whatever it was that wasn't allowed, usually at that point it would be just to move my limbs, I would wind up, wind up doing an approximation of that action in real life, forcing myself awake. You know, that happened to me once. I realized I was dreaming... And I tr- I was laying in the dream. I was laying down on the floor and I tried to move my arms. I was trying to move my arms hmm. and I was, I felt stuck. Like I was paralyzed. I couldn't do it. it was an alien and then abduction. I, and then I woke up no, and okay. I remember like realizing that I was in a dream. Yeah. It was an alien abduction. Totally, <laughs> totally aliens. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. Where did I leave off? Um, okay. He said, um, if I tried to do something, he said basically if he tried to do something he couldn't do in the dream that broke the rules or pushed the limits, he would just force himself awake. And he said he's broken several alarm clocks, bruised his knuckles and knees, caught, in quotes, my girlfriend slash wife as if she were falling off a cliff, shouted weird things and other strangeness. <laughs> when I was 14 or 15, I found books about lucid dreaming and read them. There wasn't much in those books that I found useful. I was mostly trying to understand the biology behind the phenomena I've experienced. But all I found was what amounts to how to and oh, all I found was what amounts to how to and self-help guides telling people what to how to do what I basically had figured out on my own. As I've aged, I've had less frequent nightmares, and the violence and pain of my childhood nightmares don't bother me as much anymore anyway, and I've had less motivation to lucid dream except for the occasional dream wherein my wife or kids are in danger, and then I think I get a better rest when not engaging those dreams. Still, a little Star Wars expanded universe romp or a little wish fulfillment every now and then never hurts. I mean, that's awesome. That's a great email. Yeah, yeah thanks for sharing that, that. I hear that, and I think that's great. I mean, the ability to kind of take control of your dreams. I mean, one of the funniest things for me with dreaming mm-hmm. is it's amazing, and I don't think people think about this. It is amazing how quickly people accept their dream as reality. Like, how quickly, even though the strangest shit is going on, you don't for two seconds, unless you're into this lucid dreaming thing to where, you know, you recognize you're in a dream and you start taking control or whatever, which, I mean, kudos if you can do that. I don't remember my dreams well enough to where, like, I could even begin to try it. Um, but, like, you know, the, the wackiest stuff could be happening. You know, your sister could turn into a wolf and come chasing after you. And <laughs> Did that happen to you? It has. And, and, <laughs> I mean, but in your dream, like, you just accept that is that is so. Like, like okay, that, that's how it is. I've even had, you know, I've had dreams where I thought I still had some Megadeth album. And, and then I wake up and I, I'm looking for that album. But, you know, I sold it, you know, earlier. Uh, but but that, that's what's interesting is that, you know, I mean, for, for such, ra- even for the most rational person, for them to, it's amazing what you can accept inside of a dream, that you, no matter how crazy or ridiculous uh, it, it really is. And I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what the point to that is or, or what the end game for that is. Um, but it's strange, uh, you know, when, when so many people... Well, do you give yourself a reality check in regular life when you're walking down the street? Oh, hell, I have to. Yeah. Have you seen these people? 
<laughs> do you so you're walking down the street and you're like wait a minute am i dreaming like, hold on hillary clinton uh, and donald trump are oh running boy. for office am i this can't be real <laughs> so, but yeah no you're right you're right you don't do a reality check so i guess in your dream you're just kind of acting you know as normal but that i don't i don't know it's an interesting point in my opinion anyway what else have we got or do you, you well, say what you want on the matter? I think this is a perfect segue into we're going to wrap up the show pretty soon and then we'll do our little after show. But sure. um, I think this is a perfect segue into um, talking about the movie that we saw today, Brian. Oh, because talk about a dream. Because the person was, yes, it was a dream. And the person was talking about a, you know, a Star Wars expanded universe romp. And yeah. of course, uh, of course, we we uh, we went to the movies today to see Star Trek Beyond. Oh, man. And it was awesome i loved it it made me feel so much better i just enjoyed the hell out of it yeah i mean and i'll I'll say it right now i am terrible at not spoiling Mm -hmm. so spoiler alert if you haven't gone to go see it oh right yeah brian hates people who try to control what comes out of his mouth yeah it's a spoiler but yeah (laughs) emotional terrorists holding you hostage yeah not talk about the spoilers so if you don't want to hear a star trek spoiler turn it off or or wait to (laughs) wait to hear the show later yeah (laughs) But uh, but it was great. It, it was an. I mean, I don't know. You know, as far as where I'd rank it in Star Trek films, you've seen every Star Trek film. I've seen most of them. I haven't seen some of the older ones because yeah. I have no patience for stuff that was made before like nineteen eighty five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as ones that are in the Kelvin timeline, uh, which the Kelvin timeline is the J.J. Abrams movies it used to be called the Abrams verse. Right. You know, this is uh, two, the two thousand nine one and Into Darkness, and now uh, Star Trek Beyond. I think it's probably my favorite one um, of those. I It's hard to pick a favorite, but yeah, I have to agree. I think it might be my favorite one, too. Out I mean, of those, not the, out of all Star Trek movies. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, I loved I loved the Next Generation movies, mm-hmm. you know, like Generations and e- e- even Nemesis I liked, you know. All, yep. the, all those ones were really good. Yeah, I like Nemesis a lot. Um, anyway, so the visuals in Star Trek Beyond were just stunning. They had this space station where the Enterprise, Yorktown. the Yorktown, yeah, where the Enterprise docked it. There was a docking scene where the Enterprise docked in it, and it was sort of docking into the space station and going through this glass walkway, and you could see it coming in, and you could see all the buildings and the Starfleet personnel, and it was just so beautiful. It was. It looked like a city in a like it was like a city in a bubble. Yep, it was like Perf- a city in the perfectly clouds. real. It it did look amazing. And, um, you know, the acting, the acting was great. You know, now I think we're really starting to get to know these characters. The actors have had a chance to portray them a couple yeah. of times now. There's been, what, three movies in this, in this, with this set of actors? Yeah, right? within the Kelvin timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and still, you know, I, I thought as far as, like, the, the MVP, as it were, uh, you know, the, the best actor in it uh, has been my, honestly, my favorite, not my favorite character, but my favorite actor slash, I guess, character uh, throughout the ser- throughout these mo- these three movies uh, has been Carl uh, Urban playing Doctor McCoy. Oh, he, is he was hilarious. great. He's perfect. I mean, he just he hammers it. He is he is the man when when he is on the screen. And it's who really is something. who is playing Sulu in this one? Uh, Cho John is it John Cho, or John or Fred Cho? Okay, I, I, sorry, but, I put yeah. you on the spot That's there. Okay. But That's okay. Right. He was. I thought he was phenomenal in this one too. Um, yeah, he was one of my favorites as well. All the actors were great. Yeah. yeah, and you know the new uniforms. I loved all of them. They're great. I, I'll, you know, I'll admit it. I I love the short skirts 
um, you know, in, in Star Trek. Of course you do. That, yeah. That's something <laughs> that I think the reason, one of the main reasons the original series still holds such a special place in my heart. Of course, Captain Kirk is, you know, is, is just pure greatness. Um, but, uh, but you know, the, the, for the future to, to allow itself to be sexy, I think is really great. You know, uh, and so, so I, I always enjoy that. I, I, but the new uniforms, there's some really cool stuff all the way around, uh, you know, with this movie. And, you know, something else I felt with this movie that I thought was great was it paid attention to Enterprise, as in the show Enterprise. Yes, there were some throwbacks to basically there was an old ship that they found stranded on a planet from 100 years before they found it. Right. The right? USS the, Franklin. The, Oh, I was going to say Kirkland, but no, you're right. It's yes, the, Franklin. the Franklin. Yes, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of like the store brand of um, Costco or something. Oh, yeah. Kirkland, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was the USS Franklin, and it was 100 years older than when they found it. And they had the uniforms of the crew that they were wearing were like the uniforms in in Star Trek Enterprise. Right, because the Franklin was the first Warp 4 vessel. As yes. As for the Enterprise, the NX-01 Enterprise was the first Warp 5 uh, vessels. So right. this is even before that. And they mentioned the Makos, they mentioned the Zindi War, the Romulan War. Yeah, they like, did. So they connected it, even though that was in the other universe. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, I'm going to talk about this more on some other shows as well. Uh, but, you know, just to bring it here, like, I, I really like this because Enterprise kind of gets treated like the bastard son. Uh, of Star Trek in a lot of ways, yeah. more so even than Voyager. I does. loved Enterprise. I, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it was my favorite Star Trek, but uh, I, oh, I can't even pick a favorite Star. Trek. Wow. It's between Voyager and the Next Generation. Yeah, I give I it to Voyager myself. I so, loved Voyager. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I loved them all, but I loved Enterprise. I thought it was it was definitely up there. You know. Yeah. So something I've liked with all of the Kelvin timeline movies is they've always made references to Enterprise. In the first one, you had Admiral Archer and his dog, which would that's be right. Yes. Oh, uh, and, and he can't have cheese because it gets gives him the shits. It gives or him gas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Doctor Flox has to take care of him. Uh, in Into Darkness, there is a point where you see a lineup of ships. And one of the ships you see in this lineup in an admiral's office is, is the NX class, which is what, you know, Captain Archer's Enterprise was. Uh, that was great. And then in this one, I mean, it was just, it was replete. Like I said, they mentioned the Makos, they mentioned uh, the NX-0, or, you know, they mentioned uh, the Zindi War and, uh, and the Romulan War. All that stuff was there. I thought that was just so cool to, to get that respect. You know, there's a funny statement that, that William Shatner made recently at, uh, at Comic-Con this year. Because he was asked, he's like, you know, how important do you think Star Trek canon, you know, the, like the canon, canonicity is? Like, how important is, you know, keeping things all kind of together and, and making sense and all that? And I loved it. his answer was, he said, it is the very basis of law and order and civilization today. He said, that's that's how important the Star Trek canon is. I thought it was just a, it's a hilarious. And you can picture Shatner saying it, you know. It's like, well, it's the, uh, the very basis of civilization. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's a great impression. And by, yeah. by the way, we mean no disrespect by that. Brian is is like a fanboy of Shatner, like oh, to the, the biggest, biggest degree. He's even um, taken some inspiration from his his artistic readings of what would you call his slam poetry of, of Rocket Man and things like that. And well, he does dramatic readings. dramatic readings. Yeah. That's right. His, his, Brian has taken some inspiration from Shatter's Absolutely. dramatic readings. Yeah. The guy, just a just pure hero on my part. Um, and if you want to hear that, audioftheancients.xyz. Correct. Yes, yeah, just that's the, right. All the one word, audioftheancients.xyz, and you can find that. 
Um, but yeah, just overall, I mean, it, it you know, tremendous action and it had, you know, I, I thought the character stuff was there, you know, granted it wasn't so much about scientific exploration and all that, but I just loved getting to see the future. And that's always the beauty for me with Star Trek is you get to see, you get to see a very hopeful future. You know, like when you saw the Yorktown station, it was beautiful. You know, it was almost a paradise. And it's just like, it's so nice to see that on screen for a little while. As to where a lot of science fiction today is all very dystopian, and that just annoys the fuck out of me. Uh, you, you know, whether <laughs> yeah. or not that's the actual direction right. we're going, uh, you know, that's another story. Um, but I, I just, I thought it was really cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, and this, some good twists in it and all that. And, and I loved seeing the Franklin. I thought that was, that ship was so cool. It might be the, my favorite starship um, that I've ever seen. Uh, and I always love when you bring back like some old technology. It's like finding an old hot rod, you know, and, and then you outrun the cops with it. And I always think that that's a great thing, uh, which, by the way, there was some great music in this in, in this movie, too. So, I mean, did you have any other thoughts on it, Stephanie? I mean, what was just that I really enjoyed it the way it came to like the ending was a surprise. Should we yeah. talk about what that was? Yeah, we we don't have to. Okay, well, the, let's yeah. just say that I had seen a friend post that he saw it, and he said he was surprised by the ending. Right. I was surprised by the ending too. Yeah, I yeah, thought that absolutely. was really it was a shock. Yeah, really, really surprising. Um, the movie was just actually like you. Okay, I have to explain the background on this. Sure. Normally, when Brian and I go to the movies, we get a giant Diet Coke, <laughs> and we share it usually, and I usually drink the whole thing, <laughs> mostly the whole thing, and then by halfway through the movie, I have to pee, but this this movie, you know, I did have to pee halfway through the movie, but I couldn't get up to pee because I wanted to see what happened. I couldn't stand the thought of missing three or four minutes of the movie because I had to pee. So I held it in. And I. <laughs> so like if that. that's not a testimonial for this movie, I don't know what is. Well, what was your favorite moment? Give them, give them your favorite moment. Oh, uh, the docking scene, I think. I don't know. That's kind of boring. No, no, no. But... No, you know what? I think that's great. And, and I'll explain why. And, you, and I want you to tell more on it. It was just breathtaking. It was so beautiful to see it on the big screen. Yeah, and, when yeah. it docked into the Yorktown. Yeah, and it was unique, too. It was like I'd never seen anything like that, even in a Star Trek. You know, Jurassic Park, okay? Classic film. Oh, yeah. The original Jurassic Park, 94. When I love the first 30, 40 minutes of that film, Everything afterwards, I don't. I could. I couldn't care less about. You like the tour of the Jurassic like Park, the, yeah? Yeah, I, I like, like that tour. too. I, I like my favorite scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in movie history. Is when Alan Grant is in the jeep. They're pulling up, and they stop. He gets up. He takes his sunglasses off, like Knight Rider went by. But no, he sees a brachiosaur. You know, he sees a couple of them, <laughs> and they're just right. eating of it, and eating. And the music, you know, this is a great crescendo of yep. John Williams music. And you can see everything because it's it's light out. And the rest of the movie, when the shit starts hitting the fan, it's, it's raining dark. the whole time and dark. Which used to be required to make you know, right to make it look, look real because yeah. it was an animatronic dinosaurs and yeah, exactly. no CGI. Exactly. So I think that's totally valid to enjoy in uh you know in star trek beyond uh I, and and i i'm i'm with you that might be my favorite like I, I i thought the first 20 minutes of this movie was some of the best star trek ever produced uh i mean and all of it was great but but some of the first 20 minutes fantastic you know, show they, me that world they also did a great job with just the opening scene it was it was kind of about how well they've been out at space for like three out of the five years of their five-year mission and everybody's getting a little depressed because they were like, getting it on too yeah that they were so great. they were they They're were stooping. yeah it was cool but they just did such a great job of setting the mood and setting the tone 
and and then it was action action from there on out. Yeah. You know, it's like when they wanted you to feel that like stagnation and depression, they they did. Yeah. You did feel it, and then when they wanted you to feel the action, which was the rest of the movie, you totally felt it then too. Absolutely. So it was great movies make you feel stuff, and this made me feel stuff, and it was great. It got me right in the feels, and it was it was really right good. In the feels. Right in the feels. That, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, well, hopefully, Sex and Science Hour gets you right in the feels. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, do you have anything more to say, Brian, or before we wrap up and go to our after show? Or are you good? Peace and long life. Oh, live long and prosper. How about that? Well, either one. Picard you, said peace and long life. You didn't life. want to say live long and prosper because you were trying to be original. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you know, I I, actually, it. you just reminded me. Here's the last thing I'll say. Okay. And go I can for count it. the movies that this has happened to me, and they are three. I cried. This is the third one. I cried in this movie. Oh, like I, I, I saw that. I saw I you tearing cried. up. There's only two other movies where that's true, and that's uh, I did cry at Titanic and Star Trek II: <laughs> uh, The Wrath of Khan. How could you not cry at Titanic? I well, mean, they, really. James Cameron is just a master, master, you know, master craftsman. You know, it's like they hit the switches, right? Yep, like they, they, they know, just know exactly what buttons to push. So yeah. anyway, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when DiCaprio was, you know, was was freezing maybe it was tears of joy not tears of sadness <laughs> <laughs> regardless three times i've cried this was number three so give that for what it's worth <sighs> anyway thank you for tuning into the show this week we'll be back at you next time uh next friday this is sex and science hour go to our website sex and science hour.com go see star trek beyond because we need more of these movies yeah it was a great movie all right thanks for tuning in our after shows coming up stay tuned you've just heard sex and science hour you can connect with us at sexandsciencehour.com game over play again next week Hey, it's the after show. We're back. We're back we, already? Yeah, we didn't. We Holy weren't gone hell. too long. Right. So we've completely screwed up the bumpers, Brian, but we'll fix it in post. All right, we'll That's fix what it we'll in do. post. We'll fix it in post. That's right. So here's the deal with Sex and Science Hour. The, we do the show. We do accept donations, and we're grateful when you send us donations. Uh, you can send us uh, PayPal through our website at yep. sexandsciencehour.com, or you can send us Bitcoin, and we put a Bitcoin tip address in every episode show notes. Just check the show notes underneath the show on SoundCloud or on our website. And uh, you, we are very grateful to anybody who sends us money. We that always brightens our day. You know, we yes. check we check our little stuff on Saturday morning after we release the show Friday night, and sometimes we see that there's money in there, and we're like, ooh we got money people like us so yeah we know you like us even if you don't send us money it's just it's enough that you just listen to our show and maybe share it maybe tell a friend but we certainly appreciate uh monetary gifts as well because it just who doesn't like getting money right <laughs> it feels really good yeah but we also know that people you know it's it's hard to remember to donate every week or say nobody wants to do that and it's not you know with bitcoin you can't automate it you can't just put it on an auto weekly pay there's no bitcoin patreon i, I suppose we could make a patreon but i don't know i i'm not sure i want to do that just yet and you know we'd probably have to do bonus content but what we've settled on is for now what we settled on is we're going to have an amazon affiliate link and we're going to let people shop do their normal shopping through uh 
stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. I was going to correct you, but you got it. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, I know you usually have to correct me, but it's <laughs> it's stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And the way that works is, you know, no, none of the prices change for you. You just do your shopping through that link and we'll get a little percentage. And the coolest part is you get to actually be part of our show. You get to be on our after show because we can see what people bought and we'll read it on the show and we'll talk about it. So it's a win-win for everybody. You get to participate in the show and be on our after show and we get to finance the operation of our show. And, um, and it's entertaining even for those who don't participate or can't because they're in a different country. And by the way, we only have Amazon US right now. We're working on setting up the other links this week and kind of threw us for a loop, but we're we're getting on it. It's on the to-do list. So I know people are requesting those other links. We're going to get on it very soon. Thank you for your patience with that. Um, and for your desire to even... And you know, for your desire to... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Really honored by that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So... Uh, so for now we only have a U.S. link, but you know, it's, even if you don't participate by shopping through it, it's entertaining because you get to be a voyeur into the lives of other people <laughs> and what they buy on Amazon. And actually last week we talked about, not last week, two weeks ago, we talked about somebody who bought, uh, some toys on uh, some adult toys on on amazon and we talked about it on the show and we said we hope they're having a great time and we actually got an email from them and said and they said hey we were the ones who bought these toys it's we're having fun and enjoying them so i'm so glad to hear from you that was really cool to get your email Always uh, they, glad to hear they didn't say like they're they didn't put their full name because i you know i understand that people want privacy but it was good to hear an update from them i'm so glad you're enjoying this stuff and thank you for thank you for being a part of our after show <laughs> that was really cool yeah, so, absolutely. So do we have anything to cover this we week? We sure do. We have, right. well, do we have stuff to cover? Oh, we do. And <laughs> and you know what? We have too much stuff to cover in one yeah, thing. Yeah, let's just do so a few. So we're, we're going to do a few of them. And I think we, we're going to try to do, as long as we can, we're going to try to do everything um, that we haven't done yet, just so people know that their stuff got counted and stuff like that. But it just may take us a few weeks to get to your thing. So, and also it doesn't show up in the queue until the day after you buy it. So if you buy something on a Friday and you're like, oh, they didn't read it on Friday's show. Well, we don't see it until the next day. So it may take a week or two. So anyway, that's what's, uh, that's what's going on with that. Um, so what did somebody get this? So to start off, we have, um, some motor oil and an oil filter. And, you know, hey. some may say that's mundane or whatever. You got, But you know what? You got to change your oil. And you got to change it every 3,000 miles. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's very important to take good care of your car. It's almost like you've done voice work for this sort of thing at some point. <laughs> smvoice.info. I have, yes, now you're promoting my voiceover <laughs> stuff. And, yes, I am a voice actor. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, it is very important to take good care of your car. And this person is with their Chevron Supreme 5W20 motor oil oh, and, man, and a Pro Series oil filter, a K&N PS1004 Pro Series oil filter. And they're cheap. You know, if you change your own oil, you can you can do an oil change for 20 bucks, right? 25 bucks, maybe 30 bucks. I don't know. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love changing the oil. I'm I'm a big fan of working on it. You know, cars. I've changed my own oil and I'm just not into it. I don't like to <laughs> Okay, let's put it this way. I don't like to change my own oil, but it doesn't mean I'm a girly girl, okay? Cuz no. I don't like to do my own laundry either. No, Brian no. does my laundry, so there you, you are. You are the modern so woman. So there. I'm the modern woman bucking the gender roles. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Somebody got a cookbook called How Can It Be Gluten-Free? Isn't that cute? That It's the How Can It Be Gluten-Free Cookbook. That's amazing. That's I like, thought that was so cute. I'm like, it's it's reminds me of, it's reminiscent of, I can't believe it's not butter. Don't yeah, you think? Yeah, it's like those Fabio commercials. It's like Fabio, it. yeah. I can't believe it's not butter yeah. spray. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have an interesting, another interesting book, The Human Use of Human Beings, Cybernetics in Society. Holy shit. The DeCapo series in science. This looks like it could be maybe a textbook or something. Um, wow. I'm working off my phone here, so I can't look at it right now. Usually I open up the links and look at them because I'm super nosy, but um, I can't do it with this one. <laughs> so, um, And we talked about a lot of uh, these other books that we uh, got, so I'm just going to skip down here. Sure. Um, in the cell phones and accessories um category it looks like somebody got a virtual reality headset it's a coco park bobo bobo vr virtual reality 3d glass headset and it's for um it's a card it's basically a cardboard for 3.5 to 6 inch smartphones and it comes in black oh did we course. talk about that already i feel well, like we might have covered i feel that like already. maybe we did but yeah, yeah anyway there was also another um vr headset the deferi plastic adjustable um fd and pd function virtual reality headset well i'll just say i love virtual reality uh, i think even google cardboard is very exciting mm-hmm. uh, the new systems coming out like uh, daydream from from google all of that are is super exciting stuff uh, virtual reality if there was ever i mean you know the most as far as in the past 30 years you know the really or 40 years or however much uh the really game-changing technologies are the internet followed by BitTorrent. And then I think virtual reality, not even augmented reality, but virtual reality is the next big thing. Mm. I mean, I didn't skip anything in that, by the way. You gave I'm a well gr- aware of other. You gave a great talk about VR. Yeah. At, um, is that on YouTube? Yeah, you can find them on YouTube. Uh, it was at the Bitcoin Investor Conference. Yeah, in... just look up Brian Sovereign on YouTube. Yeah, Brian Sovereign Virtual Reality. Channel. Yeah. I mean, because if they search Brian Sovereign, you never know what they're going to get. That's true. They're going to get so much. Might be that sex tape that I... Oh, wait, no, they don't want those on YouTube. (laughs) You know, I I have a confession. I'm scared to search myself, like, on YouTube and Google. Like, I just don't want to know. And I think it's different for everybody, too, right? Because don't they tailor the search results to your previous searches and things like that? Yes. So I don't know. I'm sure it's different for everybody. But sometimes I cringe when I think of the things on the internet about me. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it's all great. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyway, somebody got a sweet computer from stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. This is pretty cool. Um, so I'm guessing this is all going into the same computer, but there's a bunch of parts in the computer department. So first of all, we've got a gaming um, numpad keyboard thing. Okay. Um, it's an ABKO Hacker K522 Mechanical Gaming um, numpad. So it's like for, you know, for games, but it's a yeah. number pad. Yeah. Um, and then the computer, we got the Acer Aspire E15. It's a 15.6 inch full HD Intel Core i5 NVIDIA 940MX hmm. with Windows 10 and a bunch of other specs. And Not this is, bad. this is at a uh, $550, $550 price point. That's great. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, let's see. Oh, there's two tablets. There's Asus asus google nexus 7 tablet oh two see, of those. now there there's a winner so this is if you want to go to dark oh except Info. they returned it 
Oh, shit. I, I looked like there were two, but one is a return. So somebody got a tablet, oh, and then they okay. returned it. Okay, well, right. anyway. <laughs> Whichever. The, the the Nexus 7, the 2013 Nexus 7. Yeah, you the, had a hard-on for that, didn't you? Well, it's, the, it's still the greatest tablet ever made. Like, <laughs> just straight up, uh, the things you can do with it, the control you have over the device, uh, the things that aren't in it, all makes it just a great, great device. Uh, if you go to darkandroid.info, um, you can... It's it's the top device that I recommend people get if they want to do any kind of anonymous mobile computing. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Um, they also got a graphics card. So this is the EVGA GeForce GTX... GeForce. Oh, excuse me. GeForce. Okay. The GTX 980 Ti 6GB classified gaming ACX whisper silent cooling graphic card. Yeah. Now, do you, now let's take a bet, Brian. Are they playing video games or are they mining Ethereum? <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think uh, I think it's more worth your time to play video games. So <laughs> yeah, uh, which, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to hope it's video games. Exactly, exactly. Okay, uh, we got a professional gaming ma- mouse with seven buttons. That's nice. a little excessive, but hey, whatever floats your boat. No, no, I don't get it because I'm not a gamer. The PC so. master race. You got to understand. We it's pure class. <laughs> we got a Netgear. <laughs> Yeah, pure class. We got a Netgear Nighthawk X4 Ultimate Gaming Router. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, dual band Wi-Fi gigabit router. That yeah. sounds nice. So is that like the modern equivalent of a LAN party? You get a gigabit router? No, no? I mean, it's just good to have just if you good need if serious you're... wireless speeds and all that. Yeah. Okay. But don't you have to have like the internet connection to back it up? Oh, sure. But okay. I'm going to guess this person does. I guess. Why else would they get it? And that was a dumb question. Um, they got 500 feet of bulk Ethernet cable. Oh, they're running raw. <laughs> There's this is a they're serious. Raw right. This is a serious operation <laughs> here. Great. Um, they got a Panda N600 dual band wireless and USB adapter. So it's like just you know a little antenna to pick up the Wi-Fi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, they got the Razer Death Adder PC gaming mouse. Yeah, this is kind of left-handed a- edition. Now that's the most interesting part to me because I am actually a lefty, not politically, but you know, with my left <laughs> hand, <laughs> not necessarily politically. Yeah. With my left hand, you people call me that sometimes, but uh, <laughs> I use my left hand for writing and sports and sports ball and all kinds of stuff, and. Um, but I never used, I never learned to use a left-handed mouse because they didn't have left-handed mice when I was growing up. Yeah. I just learned to use my right hand as my mouse hand like everybody else. And it's a righty's world, so I had to adjust to that. So now a left-handed mouse feels very weird to me. So I don't use it, but this person got one. Well, that's awesome. I mean, the Death Adder from Razer is many people kind of the, considered the gold standard of gaming mice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Personally, the Logitech MX series is my, my favorite for How for many buttons mice. does that one have? Oh, man. Uh, Seven? Yeah, at least. No, wow. no, probably not that many. But anyway, but the Death Adder is, is, a, is a damn fine mouse. So good, good, good call. And there were a couple more Can we items. Do a couple more? Just just a couple more. Yes. Oh, you mean a couple more and then wrap it up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, we, we will. Um, so the next thing that I found really interesting was in the grocery and gourmet food section. Mm. Mansfield Maple Gallon Pure Vermont Maple Syrup Grade A Dark Robust Vermont Grade B. Holy 64, Two 64 ounce glass bottles. So this person bought two 64 ounce. So what, how many ounces is 64 ounces? I'm looking at my water bottle here. The, that's got to be about a gallon. So they, they bought about two gallons of, of maple syrup. Well, all I'm going to say. From Vermont. 
I'm just going to say... We could have delivered it to you, dude. True, but I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to say I love pancakes. Like, I mean, I, I mean, fucking love pancakes. Yeah, I know. I th- you thought you loved pancakes, but this person has entirely other plans. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, <laughs> it's exciting. I don't know if they're going to use it for pancakes or maybe for, like, drizzling on their partner's body. Oh, that I got be- a Studenhofer right now. <laughs> Let us know how the maple syrup is if you hear this, oh, dear listener. Um Somebody got some shoes, Reebok Men's CrossFit Nano 6.0 Cross Trainer Shoe. So is this like a shoe that's made specifically for CrossFit? It's a $100 pair of shoes, so, you know, they're not screwing around. Well, I don't know, because didn't isn't CrossFit, like CrossFit, of course. CrossFit is, is say, like patented, right? They, right? they can't use the word unless they pay a ridiculous, absorb, exorbitant uh, licensing fee. Right, and, and Cro- Reebok is like the official CrossFit supplier you know oh okay so maybe they make a special shoe for it okay but but the thing is is that i think like the classic reeboks were already called crossfit if i remember right so right yeah so um (laughs) uh let's see i think that's it uh, for now, why don't we just end yeah, off let's here? Wrap it up. I think wrap we're it up done. On the yeah, all right. So we're wrapping it up on the Rebox. Thanks for tuning in to our after show. Sexandsciencehour.com is our website. We'll be back at you next Friday. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Woo!